like, I wonder where does that come from? This idea that people gain weight during the holidays. Do we have actual research to support that? And there is research on it. And the average person gains less than a pound during the holidays. So we can all let go of that fear. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. A skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Welcome to the Seasoned RD podcast where today is a pre-holiday session. We're having a conversation with Katie Harvey, Certified Eating Disorder Specialist, Registered Dietitian, and Non-Diet Dietitian. Katie's also one of my close colleagues and I invited her to the podcast, I mean because just I love her. I love her voice, I love her perspective, and her messages to us as clinicians Or if there's a consumer listening who's struggling with your own worries about the holidays, how to eat in general, and how to be around friends, family, and food, Katie has a podcast, Rebuilding Trust with Your Body, and she shares tips and strategies there. Katie shares a little bit about coping versus numbing, how regret is different from guilt, and as she was talking, it just warmed my heart because we're sort of raised up by the same supervisor and this supervisor's impact on Katie and myself and so many others has trickled out. A listener comment for this podcast from Marissa, a registered dietitian and diabetes specialist. I love working with eating disorders and I'm just loving your podcast. I've been an RD for 20 years in private practice and in group practice and now working specially with eating disorders. Thank you, Marissa, for your comment. And to all of you listening, please do take a moment to rate, review, and share. If you're interested in supervision with me, I'll be opening my January through June groups soon. And the first to know about the openings are current supervisees that July through December and any individual supervisees supervisees. And then next would be those who have signed up for my supervision freebies. The information is in the show notes. And a quick message about my groups, just like our listener comment, people from all levels of seasoning are in my supervision group. So 20 years, 30 years, all the way down to a brand new dietitian or therapist or medical providers. I've had a couple medical providers reach out and seek a supervision. So it would be so fun to have therapists and medical providers in my groups that start in January. Welcome, Katie Harvey, to the Seasoned RD podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we cannot wait to chat with you. And I know before we started recording, talking about we're all Kansas City girls. So we'd love to have another Kansas City person on the podcast. Just to get you going, though, a few icebreakers. So my first one for you is mountains or beach? I'm definitely a beach girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love a good beach. I love like a an all-inclusive resort where you can just kind of do whatever you want and not worry about the cost. And yeah, I agree. Breakfast or dinner? Definitely breakfast. I've always been a breakfast person. I don't think I've ever missed a breakfast a day in my life. 
Is there a specific spot in Kansas City you prefer for breakfast? Ooh, that's a good question. First watch is always, I think, a solid choice. But honestly, I just love breakfast at home. And, you know, because I also don't like waiting to eat my breakfast. I want to eat it. It's like the very first thing I do when I get out of bed. There needs to not be a lag time. (laughs) No dilly-dallying right away. None. What do you like for breakfast? What would be a nice, something you look forward to? Ooh, lately I've been into English muffin with peanut butter and banana, and then I drizzle the honey on top, or sometimes I'll do like a breakfast sandwich with those pre-cooked sausage patties. And if I'm feeling like cooking an egg, I'll add that, but sometimes I'll just put cheese on it or oatmeal is one of my favorite. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of like frozen waffles that you put in toaster and stuff like that. Super easy. Oh yeah. yeah. My, that first one, I love the banana peanut butter or any kind of nut butter on a whole wheat toast. So that's one of my favorite go-tos. Yeah, super satisfying. And it's so funny with my kids. It doesn't matter what we're having as long as there's syrup involved. Like the, it's like watching Elf, you know, with Buddy the Elf. Like as long as there's syrup, they're good. I'm like, why is everything so sticky? It's because we eat syrup every day. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. All right. And audiobook or paper book? I'm definitely a paper book. I love listening to podcasts, but an audio book, I tune it out and I'm then I have no idea what I just heard. So I have to right. have the I can't even do like Kindle. It's it just doesn't hit the same for me. I need to yeah. turn the pages. To get, I need to give away my Kindle because of that reason. It's like I just don't do it, but I like to listen. Anyways, you're a registered dietitian. Yes. You have some really cool stuff that we're going to talk about today that you do on Instagram, TikTok, or I think it's TikTok too. Mm-hmm. Also, yep. and then a podcast that you have of your own. So bring us back to exam day when you were taking your RD exam. What do you remember from that day? Oh, I feel nervous just thinking about it. I remember walking into this building and going into this office suite that was like a testing center. And there's nobody else there besides the person working there. And, you know, having one of the biggest moments of my life sitting there at this computer. And then when it was over, I remember... It was so anticlimactic. Like you get, I got my results right away and it says you passed. And I had to read it like five times to make sure, okay, did I actually pass? I I expected it to be like at the casino. There's like bells and lights and things going off, you know, and that wasn't it. And I had to ask the lady before I left. I'm like, so like, I'm good. Like I passed. (laughs) And she said, yes. So, and then I just left. Like, it, you know, it just, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was like, kind of surreal and weird and nobody even knew I was there or what I was doing. So I, I took myself out for a pedicure afterwards. And then I think I went to lunch or something to kind of celebrate. Oh my gosh. I, I know that the listeners can't see, but Abby's shaking her head. Yes. When you were saying how anticlimactic it was to just like, you can't even tell. I remember wanting to like jump over the desk to like hug the woman that was working it and like, this is the best day. But she's like, okay, see you later, girl. (laughs) Bye. It's a lot. Like you said, one of the biggest days because you've worked so hard for this. 
And it all comes down to that test. Well, what made you decide to be a dietitian? And then how'd you get into eating disorders? Yeah, I honestly, I don't totally remember the decision process. What I do remember was my guidance counselor in high school, his wife was a dietitian. And I remember job shadowing her. And that got me interested. And then I went to a career day at Iowa State where I did my undergrad. And they have a really cool food science program. And so their career day was super awesome. And I just kind of was hooked at that point. I was like, yes, this sounds amazing. And I went for it. I was one of those people who didn't change their major or anything like that. That's unusual. Yeah. Then how'd you get into eating disorders? Yeah, that was kind of a weird way that I stumbled into it. So I initially started out in grad school. I did my master's thesis research on breast cancer prevention and survivorship. And the clinic and the researchers I was working with had a position for me when I graduated. So my first job was just kind of a continuation of what I was doing during grad school. And it was translational research. So we were doing the studies, but we were also doing the interventions directly with with people. And it was mostly diet and exercise type stuff. And then we were collecting biomarkers and blood samples and all of that. And I found pretty quickly that I liked the direct patient care part of it more than just being behind the scenes. And so I I knew that I wanted to kind of start going that direction, but I thought initially that I might hang out in the oncology world. And so we were doing these diet and exercise studies and and to give context for it, because I know people hear cancer and that's not usually what they think, but with breast cancer, there's a lot of research around prevention and survivorship. And we get into a lot of territory with weight and there's kind of a lot of weight stigma and stuff with it. But what also tends to happen is after someone goes through treatment for breast cancer, they tend to gain weight because a lot of times it puts them through menopause. And then the weight gain correlates with increased risk of recurrence. And so the logic was, if we can help these people lose weight, then we've lowered their risk of cancer. So we were doing these diet and exercise studies, and it's the same thing we see all the time, right, is that we can induce weight loss that was no problem. Everybody lost weight. They were all so happy and excited. But then when the program ended after six months, we would follow them for the next year or so. Almost every single person regained the weight that they lost. And because we were doing DEXA scans and tracking body composition, what we watched happen was they would lose muscle mass when they were in the weight loss phase, and then they would regain mostly body fat. So by the time we were done with them, we had jacked up their body composition, worsened their self-esteem, freaked them out that now their cancer is going to come back. They feel like they're a failure. And it was just a hot mess. And I was like, this is bananas. We can't keep doing this. So I started doing my own research on like kind of literature review stuff. And I, I have this binder. I still have it today. I made this binder of like mindful eating and intuitive eating stuff. And I took it to my boss. I said, I think this is what we need to try. And I was shut down like so hardcore. And that was the moment I started like gradually mentally quitting that job. (laughs) So I don't remember exactly how I stumbled upon Kathy Berg, who Mm -hmm. you know, Beth, Mm -hmm. um, became my supervisor. I I Googled and I found her online that she did this thing called supervision, which I had never heard of. And 
So I reached out and she met with me at a coffee shop and talked to me about the work that she did with eating disorders. And I was just like, it clicked. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. She was such a a wonderful mentor and guide. And it was just from there where she said, yeah, if you want to come works in private practice, you can do it just on the side. You don't have to like quit your job and right. Take this big risk, the whole risk. You can just like for three hours a week, you could see some clients. And I started there and it just grew from there. Mm, I love it. And, you know, we keep our, we're going to have Katie's seasonings in the bottom of the show notes. And these are the things that you bring and the people and the resources that you've found along the way to get to. But what better than someone who wants to be doing patient care, you know, not behind the scenes research. So there's that part. And then you've already seen the harm that was done by thinking that reducing someone's body weight can actually be the goal. Right. Right. What made you decide? I'm so grateful to have learned that quickly. Oh, yeah. You know, because we're not taught that. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, when I first started doing that, you know, I was all in like, yes, this is what we need to do. We need to fix these people and, you know, show them the way like, it's so cringy to think about. (laughs) I know. I know. But I, I think about Fiona Sutherland, who has told us. What you hear today, you would have heard differently five years ago and five years before that. So give yourself some compassion, but I have to do that too. And they have supervision freebies once a month that there were some pretty high level dietitians who came on board this last Monday. We talked about internal family systems and one of them said, I've been doing harm. And it's like, yeah, and it was something, I don't remember the context by it, but it's true. We have to keep learning. So Katie, how did you start? What made you think about starting a podcast? I had been thinking about it for a long time, but I never quite knew what it would be or what it would look like. But it, I originally thought maybe I'll do like a six part series, like a very finite thing. And then I decided, I don't even remember exactly how I landed on it, but I decided that I wanted a big part of my podcast to be not just me or other professionals teaching, but I wanted it to be the voices of people with lived experience, because that's such a different vantage point that we don't often get. And once I landed on that, it was kind of, it started to, to take shape, you know, and I've been in this online space, I've created some online courses and things like that. And so in the online course world, podcasting tends to go hand in hand with that. Those are a really common thing that go together. And so I knew a lot of other people who were podcasting and I had worked with some business coaches who were very into that. So I I kind of followed their lead as well as, as being able to see, okay, this is doable and this is how you do it. And I decided to finally just take the leap and make it happen. And I'm so glad that I did. I'm really glad you did too. I have sent some clients to different episodes along the way. And then if they just subscribe, then they get it automatically and they can go through some of your topics. Your voice is so calming. And I think that that helps people. And then, you know, we're coming up on the holidays. I didn't know if you had anything coming 
out or any advice that you can give to our listeners who are primarily professionals on how to navigate eating disorders through the holidays. No matter what holiday you you practice, some people don't practice Thanksgiving and that's next week. But then there's all this through the winter and the new years and there's always something. It is. I know it's like, you know, we go through the holiday season and there's food and and seasonal things there. And then it kind of primes us for that new year's dieting resolution (laughs) type of thing, you know, cyclical. Yeah. And, and I do have some podcast episodes that I'm prepping for my own show that'll come out like next week. The one that'll come out is about Thanksgiving because yeah, I think it, it, we need to give people some ideas and support and guidance. And so much of what's out there is, I feel like we get the both ends of the extremes when it comes to messaging about food for the holidays. I'm, I'm envisioning the like news segments on the morning news shows, you know, where they're like showing you all these like decadent recipes to make, but then they're also telling you how to like slash calories at Thanksgiving and make sure you don't gain over that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, I did a deep dive on that last year because I was like, I wonder where does that come from? This idea that people gain weight during the holidays. Do we have actual research to support that? And there is research on it. And the average person gains less than a pound during the holidays. So we can all let go of that fear. (laughs) You know what? Mic drop. We're done. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. That's all we need to worry about. Yeah. I mean, it's the fear mongering. It is. Yeah. You're exactly right. It's fear mongering like in terms of people with eating disorders and I mean, anybody in general, honestly, my, a couple of tips that I like to share. The first is just encouraging people to like, kind of keep things as normal as they can, that we don't have to get ourselves all wigged out about the food that at the end of the day, the food that you're eating at Thanksgiving is still just, it's like meat and potatoes and stuffing. Like it's just food. Your body knows what to do with that. So don't be skipping meals and saving up and all of that, because that's not going to help. In fact, it's probably just going to make things worse. But at the same time, we don't want to be too rigid with trying to keep it normal. Like it's also okay to eat things that you don't usually eat or to have more food than you normally would in one sitting. There's nothing bad or wrong about that. So I think we have to remain flexible in our thinking as well. I see a lot of, well, a lot of my patients don't, they're not super fearful about the holidays or the foods that are around the holidays. That's maybe something that was impacting them in the past, but what is more top of mind for them is the family aspect. So what are my family members going to say about my body or about how much food that I have to eat? And in that circumstance, what would you suggest someone say to their family members and then what to do in the case of the family members still make some sort of comment? Yeah, that is tough. And I think even when people aren't making comments, so many, not just of our clients, but I think a lot of us in general, if our bodies have changed, we worry what are other people thinking, even if they're not saying anything, you know? And it's tough. I think so much of it depends on the person's relationship with this family member. 
if you're close enough with them, it may be a conversation ahead of time to just say like, hey, I don't want any comments about my body or what I'm eating and, and just set that boundary ahead. And then if if the person forgets in the moment, you can kind of do, I remember Kathy, my supervisor taught me this, like the hand gesture is like, sometimes all you need is like the stop sign with your hand (laughs) or in the moment, it might just be changing the subject or so boundaries, I think can be very subtle. And sometimes that's enough to do the trick. Sometimes it needs to be very blunt and explicit, especially if the person's not getting the point. Sometimes it's just stepping away and like going to the bathroom. And I'm putting that in air quotes, like just giving yourself a breather or going and talking to someone else. I don't think we always have to like, you know, make it a big thing in that moment. Sometimes that would be a better conversation to be had later. But honestly, it's whatever you need to do to protect yourself and to protect your own peace. And sometimes that's just like an internal thing of like saying, I'm not going to engage in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not going to let something that they say change what I need to do for myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's easier said than done. A lot of what we talk about in eating disorder recovery is tuning back into your natural cues of hunger and fullness. And I know that you have something on your website about hunger and fullness and tapping into that. With fullness, though, it is easy to eat past maybe that comfortable level of fullness around the holiday time. And what I'm seeing a lot of is when we focus on the scale of hunger and fullness too much, it's like, well, I'm past fullness. I did something bad. What what do I do now? How do you walk someone through that? Yeah, that's such a good point. I think that's one of the traps of that tool that... I, I mean, I use that tool all the time, but we have to be mindful of how are we applying it. I think it was Jessica Setnick who said, like, are you using it as a tool or a weapon against yourself? And I thought that was so good to remember. I think that no matter how full we get, it's not a permanent feeling. Like, even if you ha- are like totally maxed out and, and you feel so stuffed and full that you feel sick, your body knows what to do with that. Your body will digest that food. You don't have to do anything to fix it. It doesn't mean you did anything bad or wrong. And if we can see that as just data and kind of shift to the curiosity, like, okay, what's my body telling me? And to get curious about what happened where I got here to this point of uncomfortable fullness and to take the nugget of wisdom that you can from the situation and then let it go and move on. You know, because I think a lot of times those are great learning opportunities, whether it was that we were eating a food that we've maybe been depriving ourselves of or or telling ourselves that this is bad and I shouldn't be eating it. And then you find yourself going overboard or maybe it was that you were ravenously hungry before you started eating. So you inhaled your food or maybe you were distracted or anxious while you were eating. And so you just kept eating. You know, so if we can get clear on on why did this happen then we can think about what could you do next time so that you're not so physically uncomfortable afterwards. And then again, just let it go and move on. Constantly let it go and move on. And I, there's part that you've said twice, your body knows what to do. I, I'm hearing some of the same words that I use because Kathy Berg was my supervisor also. It's get curious about it. It's just data. Your body knows what to do. What do you do when your client says, my body doesn't know what to do. It's going to, 
like you can say the research does says this, that, or the other. My body doesn't know what to do with that extra food. Mm-hmm. That to me is something so important if somebody's saying things along those lines and, and to to explore that with them. Like what makes them feel that way and where does that come from and why do they think their body doesn't know what to do? And to to really try to understand their perspective on that and to not just shut it down and make them think that they're wrong, you know? And then it's a gradual process of, okay, how do we help you rebuild and reestablish that trust with yourself, with your body, with the food? And it's not just going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of experiences and data and, and essentially proving to themselves that they can trust their body. And sometimes there are things going on that we need to have addressed, you know, medically, potentially, there might be something going on where they're having digestive issues or hormonal issues or whatever. And having clarity on what's going on with their body can be so helpful too. Yeah. I just love that. Give them what is telling you that your body doesn't know what to do. And it's really tapping back into that fear of, okay, you're my dietitian. You're going to help me understand or make sense out of this. And you're not going to gaslight me. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think so often that ultimately boils down to their fears about weight. Like if, if we peel back enough layers, it's, I'm worried that the food is going to make me gain weight. And we know that's such a loaded topic for people. Mm-hmm. What I'm, a lot of what I'm picking up from what you're saying is the importance of de-escalating the situation. So, you know, feelings can become, feelings and emotions can become so heightened and maybe we want to react in that heightened kind of way. But your perspective is like, okay, let's take a step back. It's going to be fine. It's like, like a very calming approach. I yeah. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, I think yeah. that's so true. Yeah. It is calming and, and to let it go. Katie has said that a couple of times here, to let it go. Because we can name it, oh, I'm extra full or I ate more than I meant to or I can't, I need to remove myself from the situation for a little while, whatever it may be, just naming it and letting it go. Yeah. And I read somewhere, I can't place the source that regret is different than guilt. And and so often people feel guilty if they eat something or if they feel overly full. And if we can separate that out from, I regret this because it doesn't feel good, but it doesn't mean I did something wrong. Like that's an important distinction, you know? Love that distinction. Tell us about your podcast, a little bit more about it. What's the name? How can people find it? And if you have a favorite that pops up to you in the moment, Mm. tell us about that too. Yeah. Okay. So the podcast is called Rebuilding Trust with Your Body. And it's a combo of episodes. Some of them are just me kind of like taking a topic and trying to teach a little bit or giving some practical steps or tools that people can use. Some of the episodes I bring other professionals on to teach on their area of expertise. And then some of the episodes are people who are somewhere on the journey towards accepting their body, eating intuitively and all of that. And I've, I've had people who are at all different places on the journey, which I think is really cool. 
So it's kind of a blend. And I like that people can pick and choose what type of episode they're most interested in. You know, what's fascinating is the episodes that I get the most just like feedback on or where people will say, wow, that really resonated with me. It's the interview episodes with the other people who are just, you know, walking the walk. It's people love hearing that. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's healing for the person listening and it's healing for the person telling their story. So true. I couldn't, I was floored when I asked in my Facebook group for volunteers of people who wanted to share their story. It's such a vulnerable thing to talk about. You know, it's, it's funny as dietitians, how often people are like crying in our, our offices. And I've had people say, I don't cry in therapy. Why am I crying here? Because our relationship with food and our body is so deeply personal And I couldn't believe how willing people were to come on and share this. I had at one point so many volunteers that I had to say, okay, I'm going to like, I I can't take any more right now, but if you're interested the next round, I'll, I'll have you. Wow. Yeah. And probably shows just the great place they are in their recovery that they are now wanting to share this information with others. Absolutely. And my favorite thing to kind of drill down on in those conversations is what was the turning point for them? You know, like, because for, for most of these people, they either ended up on that path of dieting, disordered eating, full-blown eating disorders. I'm always like, okay, what was it that made you decide that there is a different way to approach this and that made you believe that you could make peace with food? I would. I think it's our book. I mean, our podcasts are kind of our book that's through our voice. Instead of writing it and putting it out there, it's 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 a way for others to access it. And 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 I wonder if there's a point, a pivotal point that that people. I know in my practice, if if I were to ask people their pivotal point, it's when they were able to surrender to mm-hmm. all of the rules. It's yeah. scary, but it's in, it happens in community. It happens with other people. Yeah, I think that is so true because it can be a very isolating experience, especially to have some of these struggles that feel like, oh my gosh, you know, nobody else does these things with food or, you know, these deep, dark secrets that people feel like they have. So it's powerful to realize that there's a lot of other people with that experience and that healing can occur in community too. Yeah. When you said that, I was thinking of one particular client who gave me what she was, told me what she was doing. She just started crying and said, I have never told a soul about this. Wow. So Mm -hmm. how freeing is that to just get it off your, like, and I've been doing this a long time. I've heard lots of things. And so it didn't ruffle me at all. I just normalized it. And then we moved on. Yeah. That was something whenever I started working in the field too, that I thought was, I guess I was a little bit surprised by, or didn't expect that when sharing the different behaviors or whatever it was that they were doing, there was so much shame in the terms of, I am the only one that is doing this, but it really is. I guess how you phrased it, Beth, it's about hearing what they have to say. You know, we're not having a huge reaction to that, opening up this space for them to to share what it is. But yeah, that was an interesting part of it. 
how much guilt it is to to share the behaviors. And Katie, I see on your, I'm, I pulled your podcast up while we were talking. Yeah. You have an episode that came out, oh, yesterday, how to stop emotional overeating as a coping mechanism. So I feel like that ties in very well with the holidays coming up and the topic we were, we have been talking about. Could you give us a little spiel on this episode? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's maybe a little bit not misleading, but I, I hope that people who listen are a bit surprised when they hear me say like eating in response to emotions is not a bad or wrong thing to do. Like that's actually very normal. It's an important part of normal eating because we are human beings and not robots or inanimate objects. And that we can explore again with curiosity, you know, what, what is it that's making us want to eat when we're not hungry? And and can we do that in a way that doesn't lead to overeating in the sense of making ourselves feel uncomfortable? You know, we can eat in response to emotions in a way that doesn't actually harm us and it's fine, but we also need to have other ways of coping. And it's kind of like if the only thing you ever do to cope with emotions is go shopping, you're probably going to run up debt, right? But like occasionally from time to time, if you do that, it doesn't hurt you. So if we have a variety of ways to cope with our feelings, then, you know, it's just one of many coping skills that we can develop. But there's also a distinction between coping and avoiding or numbing or just distracting from our feelings. And I think a lot of times that's what people end up doing with food is they're using it as a way to not feel or to suppress something. And that's where you do that long enough and, and things get you know bottled up too much inside. I hope that people who listen to the episode can kind of see that there is a difference between using it in a helpful, productive way versus a way that might be something worth exploring and working on. Mm-hmm. I feel like I run out of ideas or suggestions for coping skills. What are what are some of your go-tos? I know it's so hard. And sometimes I feel so cheesy saying them. But what I do encourage people is like make a list because different things will work in different situations. And so make a list and just keep it on your phone. So you can pull it up. It's like having a menu of coping options. Or in my office, I have this little basket of things to show people as examples of like make yourself a coping basket of things that you can just grab and do. So maybe it's your headphones that reminds you to put in a podcast or some music, or maybe it's like a deck of cards or an adult coloring book or like something to keep your hands busy tends to be super effective. But also sometimes it's that thing of like journal about it or go take a walk or connect with somebody else. And I think like what you said earlier, Abby, about trying to kind of de-escalate so that you can get clarity on what's going on and what it is that you're actually needing. Mm-hmm. The adult coloring book is a hot one right now. Doing something with your hands. I heard something the other day about people digging holes, like just random holes in the ground and how it's very calming. It's like a little bit of labor. You're doing things with your hands. It kind of feels good that way. But whenever I can't come up with anything, I just throw it back on the therapist. I'm like, you know what? You In your next therapy session, you should bring that up. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely talk about that with your therapist. Yes, I use that too when I'm when I'm not quite sure what to say. I just you should bring that up with your therapist. <laughs> Absolutely, and then we will let the therapist know they may be bringing this up. This is what came up in our session. If you're in Kansas City this week, then it wouldn't be digging a hole in the dirt. It would be snow. <laughs> yeah. Or it makes me think of like you know sand, like that. Oh, yeah, building, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking for my little water feature that we got that I think some of Kathy's clients, one of her clients made and I bought from them. This has been a while. Are those Uh, like fidget toys that are so And the fidget toys. Yeah. Yeah. But journaling and talking about it, I was going to say, are probably two of the biggest things for me. And I use an online app. It's Recovery Record. And I know there's several different types of online apps. But I just tell my clients, just brain dump in there. Because there's so many minutes and hours and meals between today, if I'm seeing you, and the next time I see you, that you're going to forget what happened tonight. And it may be you know, something that will help us just kind of uncover some patterns along the way, putting a brain dump. And if they don't want to use a phone or a gadget, then writing it down. That is so, you know, for people to to come back and then read me something or share something in their own words, I can see the emotion. I can see how it, like you said earlier, Abby, escalated. And as they're writing it and then reading it or talking about it, it de-escalates. I mean, it can bring them back up too, but they're doing it in that community in my office or in their therapist's office. And even just giving language to what we're feeling. Have you guys read Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown? Uh -uh. It's so good because she walks through the different emotions and really defines them in the nuances of different emotions. And it's a great reminder that a lot of us have such a limited emotional vocabulary. And so we might be feeling something and we don't even know what it is that we're feeling, but it's just like, eh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. So I'm going to make it go away. And if we can help people give language to what they're feeling, then the path forward from there also becomes more clear because theoretically you would respond to anger differently than you would loneliness. And so I love that idea. It makes me also think of that neurobiology conference that that the BBC did a few years ago. Jillian Lampert, and I forget who the guy was. Mark. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Mark Warren. Thank you. That yeah, like the different parts of the brain as as people like write things down, it it processes and integrates differently. And I think you're exactly right then that as they talk about it and share about it, it's it's just like the brain literally experiences that differently in a way that's healing and helpful. Yeah, totally remember that. And this is where there's so many modalities out there. And and as we're listening to our clients, we're kind of kind of tossing them that that gentle ball. Try it. Let it go if it's not right for you. Was it last week or the week before? Sean Rebel, Dr. Rebel is a dietitian and he was talking about the safe and sound protocol. Now that's a that's Stephen Porges polyvagal theory. It works on that and it is about music. So this is something I'd like to learn more about too because Katie as you were talking about 
writing and how the brain changes, that's exactly what this is, is that it works on the idea of neuroplasticity. Yeah, so cool. And it's not medication. And so many of our clients really worry about taking too many things or having too many interactions. And so music, it's it's different, it's specific types. So I want to learn more about that. Yeah, I feel like our learning is definitely never done in the best way, you know, like it's fun and exciting. Agreed. And that's why a podcast, especially, you know, just being able to connect with you. Hopefully our listeners will go take a listen at your podcast and these types of like, I'm driving, I'm on my way to work. Let me throw on something educational. That's like my favorite way to learn. I agree. I mean, think how much learning takes place over the course of a year when you're listening to the podcast just on your commute. Like, holy cow. I know. It's great. Okay, Katie. Well, I do have a wrap-up question for you. So if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Oh, that's a hard one. Okay. Entering the field of eating disorders. I think I wish I would have known that it's okay to sit with people in what feels like lack of progress, that even if we can't see changes happening, it doesn't mean that things aren't happening internally, and that this is often a much slower process for us and for them than anybody would like it to be. And that that's okay to just be able to be patient and to not tell myself the story that I must not be doing something right. Or if I would just give them the right handout, then things would magically change. And so that's something that I've gotten more and more comfortable with the longer I do it. Not that that doesn't ever bubble up for me, but at least when it does, I'm I'm more aware of it and I don't jump into fix it mode. Yeah. I really, really love that, Katie. I mean, it's one of those where Beth McGilley's episode, what really struck me was if somebody had given me all the tools, I would have been a straight A student and I wouldn't have recovered. So sit with me for a very long, sit still with me for a very long time and grieve. And dietitians aren't taught that. It's kind of like we get, you know, it's okay to sit with them. It's really okay to get consultation or supervision around that if you're feeling like you're ineffective. Because there may be other things, but also Adela Franz's um, emotion-focused clinician tree, if we if we find ourselves focusing on that handout that we think is going to save somebody, then we have to look at the root of the tree and see, you know, what is, what's that bringing up for us with this particular client? And I feel like supervision was so good too at, at being able to kind of look at okay, are there things I could do differently? Or could we try something different that may be helpful here? And then looking at, you know, just being able to tolerate some of that discomfort and being able to kind of balance the two. Because, you know, I think it's also important for us to be able to look at our own stuff as clinicians. That's been such an eye-opener for me too, is like the transference and countertransference, I think is fascinating. And to be able to use that and to take that to, uh, I love doing like peer consultation where it's a combo of therapists and dietitians. And so we get those different perspectives. So 
it's just yeah. so important that we don't do this work in isolation either, because I think that can get us not into trouble, like not in a bad way, but just we can sometimes have our blinders on if we aren't mm-hmm. interacting with other clinicians and talking mm-hmm. about some things that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that helps our clients if we are in consultation with groups because we can't know all the things. We can, no matter how long or short your experience is in the field of eating disorders, we just can't know all the things. And so sometimes I like to be able to say, you know, I'd like to bring this to my consultation group. Would you be okay with that? It's perfect. I mean, we don't share any personal information other than the situation. We don't share names or birth dates or numbers or anything like that. It's really just another layer of support that helps you remind them, we've got this. We've got this. No matter how long or short we're together, we've got this. Yeah, absolutely. And that we care enough to want to, you know, even take time outside of the session to think more about the client to, to seek out that consultation. Absolutely. It's not like we're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard too, because I know that back in the day, they used to tell us, leave yourself at the door. Like, Mm -hmm. don't be, don't be human in the room almost. (laughs) And so I like it when I can get off of a call or a session and just start thinking, Sometimes I'll take a note or I'll type something to the client and say, you know, I forgot to ask about this. Would it be okay if we talk about this next time? I'm just writing it down so that it sinks in so I remember it. Katie Harvey, it has been wonderful. I just I just love seeing you. And I don't, it's so funny because I know you personally, when I see you and hear you, that calming force, and then I see your reels and you're dancing and you're doing all the movement. And I bet that's fun. Is that like an alter ego? It totally is. Like, I have to just tell myself like, okay, Katie, like, don't take yourself too seriously here. And I have someone who helps me with this. So that's my caveat. Uh There's someone who helps me like come up with, okay, here's the idea or here's like the music we're going to pair with it. I love it. And then she'll edit it and stuff for me. And so that makes me feel somehow more capable of doing that. In fact, I was just right before this, I was filming one in my kitchen and I'm like chopping up cauliflower. And so you'll see that go out later today, but it's, it is just kind of a fun, silly, lighthearted outlet. Yes, we need that. balance for sure. Yes. Ab- absolutely. And someone, I think that some, I have a student who's working with me on, and she said, well, why don't we do a day in the life of, and I, we changed it to a week in the life of, I never would have thought of that. I don't like videotaping myself. That on Did you? <laughs> I love it because I think so many of us are kind of curious, like, well, what is everybody up to? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Awesome. I saw you out there with your chickens. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea you had chickens. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had, we've ha- used to have eight, we're down to three, and then now we have a rooster. And so we'll see what happens there. And then the turkeys are pets and they have names. And so thank you. Yes. I know sometimes we need the, a little creative direction. I feel like a lot of dietitians, like we're just wired for like 
the more concrete stuff, right? Exactly. And I am, I have told my person, you will not, they're like, we're going to get you on TikTok. And I said, you will not get Beth Harrell on TikTok. No, I watch Katie and I'll watch Abby. I also said that and here I am. I know. (laughs) Be careful. careful. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Katie Harvey. It was so great to have you on with us. Oh, thank you guys. I so appreciate it. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.